Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I invite an actor or artist friend to watch an episode with me. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. Hey guys, welcome back. It's another week, another Wednesday, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. My guest this week is Trinell Mooring, a three-peat guest. It's Trinell's third time on the show. I've always enjoyed whenever I've had her on. I miss this woman so much. I always enjoyed our green room time together, as they call it, meaning when we're not performing, the social time we get to spend uh, in between the fun and the sets and the uh, theme park stuff. But hopefully, maybe someday soon, we'll get to do it again. Until then, I have people on my podcast. Now, before we get started with the show, I do want to give a special shout out to Holly M. Hey, Holly M. Thank you so much. Holly sent me a tip through Venmo. And I don't really talk about this. I I hate having to harp on this, lest it sound like a beg fest or that this podcast was created as a money grab. But uh, I do have uh, ways that you can support the show if you are so inclined. I'm aware in the middle of a pandemic that uh, this may not be the optimal time to be throwing uh, disposable income that you don't have at a podcast that, let's be real, you don't need. But anyway, if you go to the website and look at the show notes, you do see there are links to support the show monthly at patreon.com, or you can leave a one-time tip through PayPal or Venmo or Cash App. Every penny goes right back into the show, and it is so, so appreciated. I am deeply, deeply honored that you're even listening, let alone that any of you are willing to send me your hard-earned money. So again, I really thank all of you, and thank you, Holly M., for being a reminder of that. So, this week, Trinell Mooring and I watched Season 6, Episode 16, called Jazzbo. And the original air date was January 16th of 1985. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Trinell Mooring. Well, back for more. She comes back when I ask her to, even though she doesn't know what kind of episode I'm going to throw at her. <laughs> Trinell Mooring, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, everyone. It's uh... Thank you, David, for having me. It's a delight to be back again. How's oh, that? That was good. That's good. Your check's in the mail. Okay. Uh, yes, it's it's good to have you back. Now, I've had some return guests who have been like a couple of years since I've seen them. I've been doing this podcast a while. Uh-huh. I look back, but I look back and it's like, oh, you were here, I believe, was August. So we're we're like six months down the road now. Yeah, we are on that pandemic schedule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like got nothing else going on. Ah. But uh yeah, so we've been we've been BSing and shooting the breeze and catching up and dishing our theme park gossip for a little while. Spilling teas and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> but then we're like, okay, we do have business at hand. Yes. We need to get this done. So yes. how's them about? We discuss season six, episode 16, Jazzbo, with the original air date of January 16th, 1985. 
Wow. You said you have thoughts about this. What's what's a general thought <sighs> we have right now? I hate it, Tootie. <laughs> I hated her in this episode. I just mm. hated her. She made me mad. Like I like I yelled at the screen. Like, what wow. did you do? Baby, what you doing? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. We had a recent episode where I just kept repeating, Tootie is a garbage person. She, she's so garbage in this episode. <laughs> and this, by comparison, Trinell, I didn't mind her that much. That's oh really funny. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, because I feel like in this episode, to an extent, she does learn her lesson and she does get a little bit of a comeuppance. Which, she still got what she wanted. Uh, did she? We'll talk. We'll talk about it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but uh, back to the episode and the nuts and bolts here is that the episode was written by Rick Lombardo and Patrick Cleary, two names we have never seen before on the oh, Facts yes. of Life roster. Uh, breaking it down, Rick Lombardo, this is his only writing credit. Ever. For Facts of Life? Or... Ever. Oh, well. For, well. for show business. He almost ruined the character of Tootie. That's why. (laughs) 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 But most of his credits are as a camera operator, an editor, and a technical director. Oh, so they said, hey, you, I hear you like to write. You want a little whirl at it? Okay, back to the camera. You're good. Yeah, that get, okay, that was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> Don't ever come back here again, no. yes. Uh, but among his technical director credits is 222 episodes of Santa Barbara. I vaguely remember Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. It, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a soap, right? Yes, it was. Uh, I believe the term, uh, Trinell, is daytime drama. <laughs> Somebody, he wrote stories. My yeah. mama watching her stories. Oh, your story. <laughs> She's <right>. her stories. <laughs> I don't think we were. I don't think we were a Santa Barbara household, though. Yeah, it didn't run for very long. And then the other author writer, Patrick Cleary, he has two Facts of Life credits. He's mm-hmm. got one coming up in season seven. It's the episode twenty called "The Lady Who Came to Dinner." I don't remember that. I don't remember what it's about, but it's coming up. It's literally one year down the road chronologically. And then he has one singular writing credit for The Angelian Show in 1989. I ve- okay, The Angelian Show. I do I remember that show? What okay, did she have a show where she was also a ghost? Was that Angelian? That was. That was called Jennifer Slept Here. Yes. Oh, and she was struck down by a jolly, trolley, golly, said goodbye to 90-something and by toodaloo, toodaloo. No, oh, wait, her name was Ethel, though. Was that, is that, am I? Maybe. I, oh. I barely watched it. I can't believe you remember the theme song. I'm blown away. I watched a lot of TV as a kid. <laughs> but I did, too. And I think that um, Jennifer Slept Here, I think it only ran a half a season or one season. It didn't go much beyond that. And yet I remember it so vividly. I'm, I'm thrilled that you do too. I'm not alone. <laughs> Am I crazy? <laughs> Why do I remember that? <laughs> I know. Isn't it insane? Uh, oh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I've got to find that theme song. I got to post it now because I, <laughs> I have not heard it since literally I watched it in the original network run. Um, but this Patrick Cleary writer dude has a smattering of acting credits. And interestingly, he will appear on camera next season 
in episode three in the episode grand opening when they reopen the shop after it burns down. <sighs> and uh, he's just going to be one of the customers there. And if he's credited, I assume he has a line. So I'll be looking for that. But yeah, again, this is only one of two Facts of Life credits and only one of three writing credits, period, and not much else going on. Uh, the other weird thing about this episode is this is a new director we haven't seen or heard from. And uh, the director is credited as Ellen Chassett Falcon. According to IMDb, she's sometimes credited just as Ellen Falcon, sometimes as Ellen Baxter. And currently she is, uh, she, currently she goes by the name Ellen Gittleson, G-I-T-T-E-L-S-O-H-N, which is her married name. But Falcon is so much cooler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ellen Falcon. That sounds like a damn superhero, doesn't it? Caca. <laughs> <laughs> but she know. was the production manager of 177 episodes of Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Another show I vaguely remember. I just remember a woman in like her late 30s with two braids. Am I making that up? Yeah. Nope. Okay. Louise Lasser. <laughs> Okay. But the other thing about Ellen Falcon, I, we're going to call her Ellen Falcon. We've decided yeah, we're, oh, Gideon, oh, Gideon, Gideon, we're not going to do that. That's not. Yeah, the Gittleson. No, exactly. No. And I think that um, our current climate, I think this is the perfect time in history to say to a person, I'm going to call you what I want to call you, not what you call yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Because, you know, <laughs> let's let's go back to the good old days. Of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the other thing about Ellen Falcon is that uh, she was the post-production supervisor, editorial supervisor, or production coordinator for many other shows. And then she would go on as a director to direct. I'm taking a deep breath here, because <gasps> wait till you hear her roster of shows that she has directed. Double Trouble, New Heart, Valerie, 227, My Sister Sam, A Different World, Roseanne, Major Dad, The Cosby Show, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Everybody Loves Raymond, Living Single, Two Guys, A Girl in a Pizza Place, and Reba, among others. And I think I watched, at some capacity, every last one of those. <laughs> yeah. Was I Double mean, Trouble with those twins that were in uh, Grease 2? Maybe... I don't know. Double Trouble, I somehow missed. So I, I can't. Missed. Look it up. Look it up. Yep. <laughs> yep, it is. Okay. Yep. It's the, uh, yep. Once okay. again, I, I didn't know that, but that is, again, one more reason why Grease 2 is the greatest movie ever released in the history of Hollywood. Thank you. And anybody who, you know, talks smack about Grease 2. Mm -mm. Don't say it a, where I can hear. Mm -mm. They're not a cool writer. <laughs> cool, cool, cool writer. <laughs> I'll be your girl for all seasons. God, oh, I love that God, movie. I it love is... it so much. And I tried to show it to Christian, and he couldn't get into it. And I feel uh, like if if we had had if there had been more time, I could yeah. have gotten him to to I could have turned that around. But well, see, when did you watch uh, Grease Two? Did you watch it as a kid? I watched it in the theater when it came out in 82. So, so I was I was 14. So yeah, so so you were a kid. So yeah. you can, you can't just jump into Grease 2 as a fully formed adult. <laughs> you can't cuz like let, I mean, I think Grease 2 is a cinematic, you know, masterpiece. <laughs> but I know it's also hot garbage. <laughs> it is a hot mess. <laughs> yes. 
I saw it in the theater, and I remember it, it was Grease too. This is going to be as awesome as the movie Grease, but more so. And I was like, I remember thinking, this isn't very good. I didn't, uh, I didn't like it when I was fourteen. But here's the deal: because it came out in '82, it was one of those movies that was on endless rotation as cable TV started saturating mm -hmm. the markets and every household had cable. So there was a point where I couldn't turn on the TV to a movie station, to HBO or uh, Showtime or whatever, and not find that damn movie running. And I'm just a lazy teenager. I like repetition. I just put it on. So I had watched it probably 20 times before I Same. ever moved out of my parents' house. Same. It just, you know, like 82, you know, though. I remember moving into the suburbs of Houston and they put cable in our house and I didn't understand why I could watch Bonanza in the middle of the day. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, why is this on? Uh, but my friend, Michelle, who lived across the street from me, um, had the Grease 2 album. And, you know, I, do kids do this anymore? Do they listen to soundtracks and act them out? <laughs> I'm not sure about acting them out. Oh, but, we um, acted them out because we watched the movie. So we would do the whole um, <laughs> bowl tonight or score. Yeah, uh, we're, yeah, we're going to score oh. tonight. We would do the whole thing. And we all yeah. had our assigned parts. And I wanted to be Paulette, but they wouldn't let me because I was little and I had to be Dolores. And I'm I am I am 46 years old and I'm still bitter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I can talk about Grease 2 without mentioning the fact in 1983 on Log Cradle, Houston, Texas, Harris County, that they made me be Dolores. <laughs> <laughs> Grease 2, masterpiece. Uh, genius. Best yes. movie. Ba I'm sorry. There's a word we keep missing. I keep saying best bad movie ever. Yes. Yes. Rivals, Showgirls. If I had to say, which one did you have to watch? Mm. Showgirls or Grease 2. I, I well, just for the musical aspect of it. Like Yeah. The Sophie I'm, that's a Sophie's choice for me, but I think it would have to fall in Grease 2. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, oh. It would. Mm. <laughs> we gotta talk I, about this show. <laughs> we gotta talk about this show. And I, I don't I'm not sure if it's gonna happen because I'm having too damn much fun. <laughs> Girl, I miss you like the I, deserts miss the rain. Damn. Uh, I miss you too. Uh, <laughs> it will we'll be back in in each other's lives in some yeah. work in regular capacity but until then this has been so uh great for like i said we've been we've been bsing before i even hit record so yeah. we gotta we gotta get to it so with that trinell this is the time of the show when i ask you if you would provide me and my tens of listeners with a one to two sentence synopsis of the entire episode, similar to a listing you might see in a TV guide. In a flashback episode of Facts of Life, Tootie gets up all in somebody's business and comedy ensues. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, Tootie gets all up in someone's business is really the operative... <sighs> frustrating form uh, uh, component of this show. She made me angry. She mm. should have been fired 
why were they hanging out with that poor old man? Like, let me take yeah. you to the cabin. I don't, there's just a lot of stuff. Carl, there's a lot of things that didn't sit right with me in the show. There are a lot of things. So <laughs> we've got the girls and Andy sitting around the living room. Who I forgot about. I'm like, oh, it's, is that Samwise, um, little brother? It <laughs> is. is. Yes. It is, yes. That's Sean Astin's brother, Mackenzie, Mackenzie. Astin. Yeah. And this is only his second episode. He is still uh, growing into this role. And as time goes on, they do write him yeah. as sassy or a little bit more of a wise ass. And his timing is brilliant. Yeah. Um, I, yeah I couldn't remember when he came in. And I didn't know where we were in the season. So mm. it, it makes sense that. Because that's not, I kind of remember his character, but that wasn't a character, like the, how he was portraying it was how I remembered him as. So he was probably just trying to get himself. Yeah. And, and I'm like, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was, and I just love the fact that they kept, he kept making short jokes. I'm like, dude, you're 11. Yeah. <laughs> you, are, you are a child. <laughs> we talked about that before with Kim Fields, his tootie, making jokes about developing, about yes. her not having a bus. It were like, you are 10. What, what? is who is no. writing this? <laughs> <laughs> but he is, in this episode, they don't give him really a lot to play. He's playing no. kind of forlorn and down because uh, we are so early in the Andy years of the Facts of Life, Trinell. They haven't realized yet that they want him to be an orphan. So he That's will- right. At some point, he is going to be orphaned, and I don't remember how. And according to oh, Paul Padilla, no. it's not like they kill his parents off. It's just he shows up in one episode, and he's living with his grandmother, I think. I'm not sure they ever explain what happens to his parents. But in the last episode, his mother is mentioned. Yeah. One, uh, his mother had to leave town, and he's upset because he feels as though he's mature enough to be on his own at the age at of 11. 11. Okay, kid. Oh, for a weekend. Like, okay. Okay. Um, yeah. But the mother doesn't agree with that. So she's like, yeah, you know, those, um, those women that you work with at that gourmet food store that should never be hiring an 11 year old to work oh for them. I'm going to let you stay with them. Cause clearly that's a safer option. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Again, I couldn't remember what his situation was and why, like he would be there. Like, under their care and 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 he's kind of extraneous really you did he didn't have to be yeah in the show at all well i guess the only device he does serve is that presumably mrs garrett knows about the friendship that tootie and natalie are about to explain so i guess they figured well andy's the outsider so they can tell the whole story in detail for andy's sake ah and and thus our sake Yes, exactly. He and he becomes the, I believe, archetypical everyman. <laughs> Trying hard to reach for his goals, but just coming up short. Oh, and he's yep. the everyman. He is. <laughs> so, um, so with that, uh, very soon after Andy explains his circumstance, Natalie's reading the paper and she goes, Oh no. And she shows it to Tootie, and Tootie says, oh, no. And Mrs. Garrett says, whoa, whoa, what, what's happening? And Natalie what? says, what? <laughs> <laughs> and Natalie says, remember our friend Art from the Poconos? And Mrs. Garrett is like, of course I remember Art from the Poconos. 
the one you've never mentioned in the <laughs> six years we've been together. I was like, when did they go to the Poconos? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's going to come up, Trinell. I have a doctoral dissertation <laughs> on when this when, takes place. When could this have happened? Because <laughs> Mrs. Garrett talk. runs a sweatshop. <laughs> yeah, and a drug ring as well. Yeah. It's a thing. Um, so uh, Mrs. Garrett reads the headline of this article. Arthur Jazz Bo Jackson, former jazz great, dies. And she turns to the girls and says, oh, I'm so sorry. And Andy says, he was your friend? Was he, was he, I mean, he's got this obit. He was, he was famous and you knew him. And Mrs. Garrett's like, you bet he was famous. <laughs> I saw him in Chicago years ago. <laughs> of and course she talks, she did. And she talks about how it was like a rainstorm or a snowstorm, but the club was still full. Like he was that big a thing in the jazz world. Yeah. And then Tootie and Natalie say, yeah, we met him the summer we worked in the Poconos. They were bussing tables at the restaurant of this hotel, and he was the waiter. And Joe chimes in that, yeah, she and Blair didn't get to know him, really. They did go to the resort, but they were only there for one weekend. Because you had to get all four of them in this episode. <laughs> exactly. They're contractually obligated to have seven <laughs> lines apiece. Uh, so somebody, I, I assume it's Andy, says, well, if he was a jazz great, why was he a waiter? And then it's like, well, sit down, child, and we'll tell you the story. And then we flash back to this resort in the Poconos. It's some type of a dream job that Natalie's uncle promised them, but it turned out to be extremely hard, long hours, very challenging, and we see the girls working very hard at this restaurant, dealing with impatient customers. Uh, Joe, uh, Joe and Blair are among the customers who are like, can we place our order? What's going on? Jesus Christ, we're hungry. Which annoyed me. Uh, they, that annoyed me, too. I was like, Hello. Mm -hmm. <laughs> These are your friends. <laughs> <laughs> you you and I do share a, a special love for food, Trinell. Oh, I do love food. I ate like my uh, weight in Girl Scout cookies before we start filming this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we And we love our junk food. Like, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's a big thing. You and I always bonded on that. Yeah. And, but uh, just in general food, that's totally, I hear you. I see that on a TV and I'm like, I'm frustrated for those people. I'm at a restaurant. I want food. I want to place mm -hmm. my order. Yeah. But so, no, I was I was mad at uh no, I was mad at Joe and um and Blair for being so mean. Oh yeah? I was. I'm like, you can see that they're trying. Why are you coming to my house? Come to my job acting up. I, I guess so, but they hadn't was... placed the order and then when they finally it settles down a little, it's like, can we can we please place our order? And they're like, well. No, the kitchen's closed. Oh, that was that was bad on Natalie's part. That was bad customer service. <laughs> that was very bad. They should have they should have brought her a, a piece of shredded wheat or something. Really, I just that's a, a a wheat thin or whatever we used a to eat. Potato on a stick. Yeah, a Some, lunchable. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, I actually I was very upset at Blair and Joe being so nasty. I'm like, oh, because you could see uh, 2D and Natalie running around and trying. They are hustling. They, they are, are hustling. I don't remember if they had anything in their actual hands, but they looked. Yeah, they did. Yeah, no, okay. they were they were grabbing in dishes. They had the tubs, dishes, and remember they got a lot of practice when they were working in the Eastland cafeteria. Yes, with... and that's that's why I figure I'm like, for somebody who's been doing this kind of labor since they were 13, they don't <laughs> seem great at it. It's right. You think they'd be better at it? And the place doesn't look 
full. <laughs> it's not that big a dining room, and it's not yeah. that busy, but directorially, they're doing what yes. they can yes. to create okay. the atmosphere, yeah. and it it's, is. It, it's frazzled, and there's three of them, and they can't do seven customers. Yeah, it's, you know, it's crazy. I, you know what? I amend my statement. Blair and Joe had every right to be upset because they were looking around and like, it's not that. It's not that crowded. So well, never mind. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad you've seen the error of your ways. Thank I'm like, you, thank you. they're probably just hangry. Yeah. Oh, I get that. I understand yeah, that. I do. I get that way too. <laughs> seven times every day. <laughs> so uh, then we meet Art. Art is the officially the waiter while Tootie and Natalie are trying to do what they can do. But the true waiter, the person who takes the orders is this guy, Art Jackson. And he is an older African-American gentleman uh, super friendly, super nice, affable, uh, a magnificent character and a wonderful, warm actor giving, I think, a terrific performance. Yeah, he's just content. He's yeah. Like, he's like, hey, this is my this is my life. I'm just cracking little jokes, you know, kick back with my two teenage besties for the summer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's that's where we get a little bit weird. But you know, making fun of the boss, and then the comic comes in, the guy who's the stand-up Ugh. comic who is just obnoxious. So the worst. He's awful, isn't he? From his shirt, and he, oh, the way he laid down on the table. I'm like, I don't know if I can watch this episode a minute longer. <laughs> <laughs> He's awful. He's- we don't quite meet him yet. But let's talk about Art, the actor who plays Art. Did you recognize him? I didn't. I did look him up, and I know that he isn't actually a jazz singer. But I I didn't go any further than that because I was probably high on uh, Girls Got Cookies sugar. (laughs) (laughs) I had to to lay down. (laughs) Well, the actor's name is Bill Henderson. Yes. Uh, He uh, passed away in 2016 at the age of 90. Cut down in his prime. <laughs> yeah, I know. Why, God, why? He was only 90. <laughs> his best work was still ahead of him. <laughs> but uh, it, he has 89 credits over a 36-year career. Wow. Impressive. Uh, he does not ever appear on Facts of Life again. Uh, mm-hmm. They could have brought him back maybe at some point. He has so many one-offs. So many appearing in major series, but in just one role. He is in the movie City Slickers. Oh! He is in the movie The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Which I was talking about a couple of days ago, uh, and I need to give that sh- that movie another shot because I think I wasn't fully engaged and I start watching it. I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> <laughs> I only watched it for the first time. I think Within, I think it's that was a pandemic movie for me. Yeah, I, think I think I had meant to watch it all. I somehow missed it. I would have expected I would have seen it, and I just missed it. So, and it's it's fun. It's a very fun romp, and it's so it is eighties tastic. Yeah, it I got to give it a try because I was like, did I miss something? Did we just start in? The, did I start like ten minutes into this movie? It just, yeah. but that's how it <laughs> that's how it starts. It's just like bam, no explanation. This is what's happening. <laughs> yeah. So no, I'm gonna give it. A, it's pretty fun, and it's very beloved by by younger people, and, and honestly, old people like us who actually yeah. grew up watching it. Yeah. Um, but the movie that I recognized him from instantly was, he's in the movie Clue. There's a black person in Clue? The cop that shows <laughs> up. Yes, yes, he's the one that says the line, 
when they're trying to cover up that there are dead bodies, they cover one of the guys, um, I think it's, is it, is it leaving the actor? They, they douse him in alcohol and put a, a bottle in his hand. Uh-huh. And the cop walks over and goes, this man's drunk, dead drunk. <laughs> and I think it's Christopher Lloyd who was like, well, we'll make sure he gets home safely, officer. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. I, I, did, yeah, I didn't recognize him. I, and Clue was another one of those movies that Cable oh, played yes. the hell out of it. And oh. I am on board. That is one of my top 10 all-time favorite movies ever. Yes, I I love it. I did a, a steampunk version of uh, Miss Scarlet, and Megan Maroney did a steampunk version of uh, Miss Peacock. <laughs> For what? For um, Dragon Con. We just dressed up for Dragon Con. Oh, okay. One of your, yes, you do a lot of great costumes. Because we were nerds. But uh, (laughs) I love, I love Clue. I think it's, I think actors like it in particular because it is such a strong ensemble movie. Yeah. You can feel it on the set that they are having fun and they are playing off the, the energy is there that they are playing off of each other and the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, and each character is a fully committed archetype type. This mm-hmm. is this type of person. This is this type of person. This is this type of person. And this yeah. is, and they, you know, play it to the hilt. And I love it. Mm. And I, Madeline Kahn. Yes. <laughs> yep. And and there is a black person in it. It's Bill Henderson, <laughs> the cop. I was like, I was like, I love that movie. I watch it over and over. Who's black? <laughs> <laughs> So that is art, and uh, as we said, we we just love him. Uh, so they're in the final week of this commitment. Natalie keeps going, one more week, one more week, one more week. Uh, so the that's sort of your foundation. It is discovered through weird channels that art used to be a jazz singer, but now he's working as a waiter, and Tootie gets a bug up her ass. And she is, earlier in the episode, she says, I'm going to be an actress. And I realize there are so many actresses who just end up waiting tables. This could be my fate, is kind of how it sort of begins. And he is like, so encouraging. He is so sweet and nice and and telling her he believes in her and you can do whatever you set out to do. So he's already kind of taking on this nice, uh, parental mentor cheerleader role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but then when Tootie gets wind that he used to be in show business himself, uh, by snooping in his cabin, yeah, like by the viol- way. violating his their friendship, like he, I just want to find out. Oh, she needs her ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I know, I know, her mama didn't raise her like that. But there she is, just digging. And mm-hmm. Natalie is like, no, what are you doing? Get out. I'm just looking. No. Yeah. I'm and just Natalie stu- is the one who's usually uh, ethically questionable throughout yes, the series. I, I, I feel like Natalie would be the one snooping. But now Tootie has lost her damn mind. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's so true. I hate her. <laughs> but with her discovery of uh, his previous career, including pictures uh, with him and Ella Fitzgerald yeah. and him and Count Basie, like he played with the big ones back yes. in his day. Tootie is convinced that he must be 
miserable, this, I don't know what happened, yeah. that this terrible fate of becoming a waiter befell him. So she decides to take it upon herself to somehow bring him back to his authentic self, the showman, because clearly he doesn't know what's best for himself. She knows what's best for him. <laughs> yeah. You see that man over there who's smiling into the distance, just drinking his coffee, like having a good day, looking content. Yeah. Miserable. Yeah. He's miserable. <laughs> yes. And oh, it's it's so frustrating because Tootie really, really keeps harping on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what, what is she, like 16, 17? I don't know how old these kids are. No, yeah. they have to be in, are they in college? I have no idea. <laughs> Tootie and Natalie are still in high school. Good and Lord. Yeah, well, and this brings up a good question. I think this is as good a time as any for me to do my doctoral dissertation on when I believe this might have taken place. At the beginning of the episode, when they start telling the story, 2D is 16, junior in high school. Natalie is 17, senior in high school. Blair and Joe are both 20. They are sophomores in college. Here's the deal. When they talk about the summer they worked in the Poconos, uh, after that difficult shift we see at the beginning, they do talk about this was the worst shift of the summer and someone corrects the other person and says, no, 4th of July was the worst. So they are there all summer. It's not like this was just a week long thing that you could have snuck in in yeah. any of the other summers. I love that you have worked this out. Yeah. Because so, I really thought, I was like, when did this happen? Yep. Very, very good question to ask. So this is 1985, but the summer previous to this is obviously summer of 84. So 1984, we know what happened in the summer of 84 from the first episode of this season. We know that Tootie and Natalie spent a short bit of time at a resort on Cape Cod we know that Joe and Mrs. Garrett spent a weekend in Atlantic City, which is where we discovered that Joe is also a piano player and a lounge singer. Oh, my God. Like you do. <laughs> and that was the summer that Blair spent the whole summer with Cliff, who was at the time her fiancé, uh, helping to slop his hogs on the farm in Iowa. So I'm going to go on record saying I do not believe this summer of which they speak is the immediately previous summer of 1984. Okay. And and I like that because that means their relationship is not only months old. It is actually a year and some time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the summer before that, 1983, so this is the summer prior to season five, mm -hmm. they don't really talk about what they did over the summer because that's the episode where we need to get Mrs. Garrett out of Eastland and opening up Edna's Edibles, we need to get Blair and Joe out of the dorms and living with Mrs. Garrett and Tootie and Natalie saying, well, we want to come and live with you too. They had a lot of groundwork to cover to basically create the show in this current form because Blair and Joe aren't students at Eastland anymore. They didn't yeah, want it yeah. to be at the school. And I believe this is when it took place, the summer of 1983. Which would have made them 14? It would have made 2D 15 and Natalie 16. Okay, I guess that's something. I guess that's fine. <laughs> yeah, and Blair and Joe would be 19. And as Blair and Joe kind of float in and out of this episode, kind of just as window dressing, as reminders that they still exist, they would be 19 
And 19-year-olds, yeah, they would be able to be at a resort on their own. Yeah. They're, they're adults at this point. So uh, let us say that I decree it was 1983 that this took place. However, in their attempt to make Tootie and Natalie look like their younger selves, they changed their hairstyles. I saw. Natalie has two ponytails on the side of her head to keep her hair out of her face. And uh, which Natalie wore her hair like that through the end of season four. At the beginning of season five, she had taken them out and just had this feathered thing that she's got now. So you could say, well, this was the very last days of the Natalie ponytails slash braids. And just before they came back from the summer of 83, Natalie started wearing her hair this other way. I I, I did notice the hair. I did, yeah. Mm -hmm. But the Tootie hair is the really fascinating thing about it. Because number one, they... um, uh, Tootie's braces came off a few episodes ago. Yes, I know. They, they, I was like looking. I was like, wait, did they put? I was like, they put braces on her for this thing. And I, I thought, well done. Well, yes, well yes. done. She's skill. She's still sketchy AF. But I like. <laughs> yes. Yes. But yes, they did. I think she was actually wearing her retainer. Oh yeah, uh, it, it was clear. It wasn't. It, yeah, it was on. like yeah, it wasn't quite the braces. I think what they did is they said, "Oh, Kim, could you wear your retainer and then it will look like you had your braces?" Because yes, that immediately previous summer she did have her braces. So that is totally right. That is canon. <laughs> but um, the hair on Tootie actually resembles the hair she would have had the summer before season three. Three years prior, ah, her hair was, they pulled it back into a single ponytail on the back of her head. There was hair at the bottom that comes down to her neck and then bangs yeah. in the front. During season three, that hair came out and it just became the penis head bowl cut that you've heard me talk about. <laughs> and it stayed the penis head bowl cut through the end of season three and season four. And by season five, she had a little more feathered look and it's a little shorter version of it. Now, I'm looking at this going, I mean, Bravo making both of them look like younger versions of themselves. I did like that. It's really cool, but I think they may have actually overshot the Tootie hair by making (laughs) her look three years younger when she only needed to look a year or two younger. <laughs> I mean, she did have to get her hair out of her face. So there's yeah. that. But, but I love, I did love that. Cause I was like, wait a minute. Cause what, when I, when the episode started, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Her, her braces are off. Mm-hmm. And then when I saw them on in the flashback, first I thought, did I miss something? Did, did I think I saw her braces off and they were not off? Nope. They took, they put them on. Well done. I like that. That's the only damn thing I like about this episode. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I am still, I am going to go on record saying, I love this, that this much thought went into, Mm -hmm. let's try to visually make them look younger, including the fact that, oh, Tootie would have to have had her braces as well as this. So I thought to myself, maybe based on Tootie's hair, could this be the summer of 1982 or 1981, Mm. which is when we first were introduced to this hair. Well, here's the deal. I did my research. I love that. (laughs) The summer of 1981, Natalie's family drove cross country 
and she talks about meeting a boy at the Akron County Fair, and uh, she was corresponding with him. Blair went to Europe. On that trip, she acquired some wine that she brings to Eastland, and that episode that starts that season, season three, is where Tootie drinks the wine and gets drunk. Scandal. The the original big fun. Mm -hmm. And... When Tootie talks to Natalie about, is did all you do is drive cross country and meet boys? And Natalie says, you spent the entire summer at the Minnehaha Camp for Girls. Hmm. So, th- therefore, she was not. And also, let's bear in mind, this is three years prior, so she would only be 13. Yes. So she couldn't be working in the Poconos. Don't 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 make thirteen year olds work in the Poconos. <laughs> no, good. yeah, eleven year old boys can work at gourmet food stores in Peekskill <laughs> and be left there for weeks on end. <laughs> yeah, exactly, abandoned by their soon to be dead, <laughs> gone, uh, uh, disappeared mother. Uh, we don't know. Uh, so that's uh, so. So nineteen eighty one, summer of eighty one is out. Yeah. And then I said, okay, maybe it's the year after. Maybe she just did a little bit of a retro hairdo. In the summer of 1982, they went to Paris. Literally. The movie, The Facts of Life, goes to Paris. Takes place in the summer of 1982. The trip was 31 days long. And I just don't feel like they could have crammed in that much no no you don't that's a double book you don't like i'm gonna spend you know a month in paris and then i'm gonna come back and work in the poconos no no No. that's a lot that's a lot that's a lot that is a that is a lot lot and remember the question of how does joe afford any of this is always in question because joe typically doesn't have a pot to piss in yeah because she's a a scholarship student and her Mm -hmm. parents are not well off so we go back to, well, even if Joe somehow managed to afford the Paris trip, there is no way she would go to the Poconos with Blair that same summer unless Blair was paying and Joe would never, never. yeah, ever let Blair pay her way. She would say, I'm not going. So, therefore, your honor, submitted... <laughs> This is uh, exhibits A, B, C, and D, the summers of 81, 82, 83, and 84. And it is my particular verdict and decree that it is the summer of 1983 in which this takes place. So that is uh, a little less than a year and a half that art has been a part of their life and can be considered their friend. And uh, I am okay with that. I love how much thought... You put in as much thought in that as um, production put in to make them look like their younger selves. And I Mm -hmm. love it. I love it. Somewhere out there, someone who was involved in this episode will be listening to this and they're like, I'm appreciated. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And Trinell just made the prayer hands. (laughs) I I do kind of think of this podcast as being God's work, you know? You're doing the Lord's work. (laughs) (laughs) So finally, when the the ruse is revealed, where Tootie is like, I know who you are. I know who you were. What what happened? How terrible it is. And his response is like, it's my life is fine. It's good. And Tootie asks him, but don't you miss it? And he says, it's been 15 years since he sang and he really hasn't gone back to it. And Art does say that back in the day, 
when his wife was still alive, mm-hmm. that he would always look for her in the audience. And whenever he would sing, the music would just pour out of him as though he was singing to her. She was kind of his muse. And he said after she was gone, he just didn't want to do it anymore. So he didn't do it anymore. And now he is a waiter at this resort and lives in a cabin on a beautiful lake. And he's perfectly content. He's so happy. So happy. (laughs) But Tootie was like, nah. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, he says that and he walks away and Tootie's like, no, he's not happy. That's bullshit. No. He is fucking miserable. I know. And it is my job to get him performing again. As a fi- I've been on this planet for 15 years. <laughs> I <laughs> I don't really have a career right now, but and how how does one become start have a, be a singing, a singer, have a great career and then not girl life. Damn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so in even still plodding on with Natalie's protestations, yeah. To be ignored by Tootie, she ends up arranging so that the midnight show, she basically asks Blair and Joe to do her a favor, and they were going to go out dancing, and the comic, she, would you take him with you? And they're like, ew. And Joe even says, he's going to do jokes. <laughs> and then Natalie says, I didn't say you have to bring him back. Uh, and they were like, uh, send him over. Oh so, my, it's just so great. Let's talk about this. Uh-huh. Um, Carl is his name. Carl. Carl is the comic. Yeah, the Carl- skeevy old man Ugh. comet. And now Tootie has made her 19-year-old friends take this gross grown man out dancing. And he has not great intentions with these little girls. And it's just gross. Mm. Tootie. Yeah, it's bad. And he is kind of that, uh, he he is completely unsexy. He's written in the perfect, unfunny comic archetype where he's like, whoa, who are those babes? Set me up, you know, give me an introduction kind of a thing. And it's, yeah, so it's the whole thing of... The the great foible of he thinks he's sexy and has no idea that he is the opposite of sexy. Yeah. And there's a great moment. He does have a great laugh. This is credit to the actor for delivering his line well, um, where Tootie goes over to him and says, well, Carl, I don't know what you did or what you said, but my two friends, they want to take you dancing. Clearly, they, they've taken a liking to you. And he pauses and he says to Tootie, I felt it happen. <laughs> uh, and then I'm like, God, I hate Tootie. She's look at look what's this look at this web she's weaving. I know this the deception. And and here's the deal: the band is already there and starts warming up and getting ready to play. And there there are comments about how there aren't many people there. So the idea is that Carl is like, eh, tell the manager that I got the flu or something. I'm taking off with these two babes. And so that conveniently leaves this, this gap in the evening's entertainment. It never happens. Like, why is the waitress involved? <laughs> yeah, why are the waitresses man? introducing the act? What the shit? <laughs> Jesus. There's, they're 15, this 15 year old is the stage manager. I'm, it's ugh, so preposterous. 
so then Art comes in and Tootie's like, guess what? We have a gap and the band's already here. You can sing again. And he says to her, and this is the scene that I think brings it all together. Because yeah. I will admit, I watched the whole episode and I was like, yep, Tootie's a garbage person. <laughs> but to credit the overall episode in the writing, she does have something taught to her. There is yes. something for her to learn. And I think she does get it. Yeah, she does. And this is where Art sits her down and says, Tootie, I don't want to sing. And she says, but but you used to bid that. And he's like, Tootie, I don't need it anymore. I've put that part of life to bed and I've moved on. And these are really nice lines. He says, yeah. Tootie, we go through a lot of changes in our lives and we give up one thing for another. That's not supposed to be sad. It's progress. Mm-hmm. And it's perfect because it's like, yeah, at 15, you don't understand how many lives you are going to be living. Exactly. It's uh, it's it's really nice and well done. And he says it. And again, Bill Henderson, such a good actor, delivers it so wonderfully. And Tootie says, but I just don't understand how you could give up such a big career. And he says, well, Tootie, we're friends. And we don't always have to understand each other's choices. It would be nice if we could. And that's where Tootie does finally start to soften. And she does officially apologize. And she says, Natalie tells me I never know when to stop. I push and I interfere. I just want what's best for the people that I care about. And Art yeah. says, well, it's nice that I'm in that group. And it's very sweet. And yeah, mm. it's, she, her heart's in the good, in, in the right place. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's still garbage, but you know. <laughs> but yeah. So um, Tootie says, it's just, I think I always know what's best. And mm-hmm. she's kind of like, <sighs> to the point where she's almost getting a little down on herself, which may be taking it a little bit too far. Which, which garbage people will do. That's <laughs> I, I guess you're right, yeah. But, but she's 15, so. But she's 15, yeah. But the episode builds up to the end where just as they're about to leave and it's like, well, you know, I uh, kind of Natalie, Tootie going to Natalie saying, well, we've had a talk and I've screwed it up and it's the thing I set up for tonight is not happening. No sooner do we get to that point where we hear... On the microphone, good evening, folks. My name is Arthur Jackson, and I used to be a singer for some time. Yeah. And then he says, I gave my farewell performance 15 years ago, but unfortunately, a friend of mine missed it. So tonight, I'm going to do it for you one more time. And he sings for four people. <laughs> I know. But here's the it's- thing. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to addend, append that. Uh-huh. He sings it for a near empty room. He sings, you're nobody till somebody loves you. And which that's is very sweet. Perfect. And he sings, he crushes it. Great yeah. singer. But they quickly, by Tootie and Natalie, and he's singing it to Tootie. Yeah. They add some extras who were in the resort earlier, standing behind them. I saw that. Like, so the sound of his melodious voice 
brought more people in, but they didn't want to pay a lot of extras. So you just the two. <laughs> Bingo. Eggs. I am nodding my head and giving myself whiplash here. That is what they would have done. They would have loved for it to be a sister act moment where you yeah. hear the nuns singing in the church and the people from the street just start flooding into the church. Like, what is this magic that I'm hearing in my ear holes? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's the, that's the vibe. I think that we yeah. were trying to get, but that I'm was like, the intent. It was not necessarily the execution. No, but like Tootie, I think the show's heart was in the right place trying to show uh, that. Uh, and still mad at her. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why I'm mad at her. Okay. So Bill, I'm going to Bill art, which I love that his name is art because he mm -hmm. represents art. Um, hey, Hey, I used to sing. I dug it. My wife died. I don't feel that anymore because I like to sing to her. I'm on a new path. Huh. I still want you to sing. Well, things don't always work out. Okay. Tootie has this come to Jesus moment. Okay. Uh, Art goes in the back to do his thing, finish up you know, um, sorting or marrying the, uh, the, the mayonnaise and the ketchup, whatever you do back there. <laughs> So then he hears her clomp up the stairs talking about, well, folks, I guess there's no performance tonight. Sorry. Yeah. And he's like, ah, oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my cynical. <laughs> I hadn't heard, I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, he heard her on the microphone was like, well, damn it. I got to fix yeah, that. Like, Cause like if she hadn't done that, I mean, I'm not saying that she did it that horribly but he probably like hurt the, like the pain in her little, maybe and that's that's what that's what brought him in there up there because he heard her say i'm sorry there's no show there's no here. midnight show yeah there's no midnight show i didn't hear an ah or damn it <laughs> no one cares no no <laughs> but that moment was for them and he gave her a gift and i guess sometimes you can give people gifts Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and thank God Tootie didn't say, well, we had somebody, but apparently this this whiny bitch isn't going to step up to the plate. <laughs> it was I not that. First, I thought Tootie was going to sing, but I was like, can, can Phil sing? I can't remember. <laughs> she can, yeah, she can sing a little bit. Not, yeah. not drop dead, oh my God. But yeah, she has sung on the show and she's fine. I thought it was going to be a moment where she's like, well, maybe he's passing the torch and I'm going to sing. Oh, but that dear. didn't happen. That didn't happen. I didn't, I wasn't sure which one I would have hated more. I think it would have been that. Yeah. You don't have somebody who has like the the credits of of, of this man. Who, I forgot his name. Bill, Bill, Bill Henderson. Bill Henderson. Um, it'd be a, a guest star. It's like having Dizzy Gillespie and not play. Like <laughs> so. He yeah, had exactly. To, he had to sing. Yeah. Yeah, he did, and um, I think the whole episode was leading up to that, but it was. Yeah. Uh, and they did a good job of him stay, stating explicitly, I don't want to. That's not my thing right now. So the question is, okay, well, then what is going to happen that's going to make him sing? Yeah. And and it's his friendship for Tootie. It's like he says, I'm just going to do this for her. The many ways, as we discussed, there are many ways this could have fallen really off the skids. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I was terrified was going to happen was when we came back from the flashback that they were going to say, yep, and then he got back into it and continued his career and was even more successful, all because I knew better than he did. And I'm so happy that didn't happen. Oh, he, that, uh, all that happened is he just died. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but he lived, apparently he just lived his life the way he wanted. He gave this gift to this little girl and like, well, he he had a house on the lake or something or in the mountains and yeah, just... a house on the lake because he, I mean, clearly he loved the Poconos. He was in yeah. the locale, the region that made him happy. And that's what he, what he, he was living his life. It was great. Yeah. So you bring up uh, the the obituary, the the him dying. One thing they didn't read out loud, but the prop person who made the obituary prop, it says that he was seventy one years old when he died. Okay. So this is a year and a half ago. So he was supposed to be around seventy, and I'm like, oh, was he? So I looked up. Bill Henderson was born in 1926. Yes, so he was. He was 58. When he made the episode. What the hell? I know. <laughs> what is that about? Because like when I was looking at him, I'm like, he looks young. And I'm like, how old was he when he was with Ella? Or maybe it was like the tail end of, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe it was they just wanted to use him. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, because I mean, Ella Fitzgerald, she died in like, in the nineties, she was working yeah. into the seventies and eighties. So that's yeah. not impossible. She was still around when this episode was made. Um, but the, the fact is that if he was 58 years old, the actor, and he hadn't sung or performed in 15 years, it means he got out of the biz when he was 43. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So weird casting. It is very, very rare that you have an actor playing older than they are. Yeah. Uh, but he has that in uh, in common with Kim Fields because Kim Fields is actually playing older than she is. She's in in the current times of this episode. Tootie is sixteen. Kim Fields is fifteen. Oh yeah. Well, they're like, oh, we can't tell what, how old these black people are. I can't. <laughs> we can't. We can't. Is is he thirty or is he sixty? I don't know. Just, <laughs> we have no idea. <laughs> Oh, white writers. <laughs> so now that we've gone through sort of the, the true plot of the episode, that's mm. that was kind of a semi-abbreviated version of my typical uh, synopsis. Uh, what else do you have in your notes that you wanted to bring up I as far as discussion uh, points? Oh, arts. Oh, this is what I want to talk about. Art's advice was not rocket science. When he told uh, Carl, hey, you, you need to give the audience what they want. And Tootie's like... What? How would he know something like that? I'm like, <laughs> yes, that's where Judy was like, whoa, Art knows a lot about show business from the way he told that shitty comic that he's a shitty comic. <laughs> I was like, uh, no. Um, why is he hanging out with these teenagers? Yeah, at his cabin. Yes, like, they they go off. They go off to a, an excursion. Yeah. And they come back and Tootie alludes to the fact that she's been trying to bring up the subject and yeah. he, he wasn't taking the bait. But they come back. But yeah, there is a sense of, OK, you are a allegedly, I guess, 69 or 70 year old man. And in your BFFs right now, there's no one else that works at this resort <laughs> with you whom you're friendly. No, I don't like it. Uh, and then <laughs> I guess I was really, really mad about art changing his stance and singing no art no with three exclamation points <laughs> really you didn't want him to sing well well 
at the time I didn't like it because I was like, he had his principles and he just had to cave for this little girl. But um, looking yeah. back on it, like, okay, he was being nice. He was being nice. I, I think part of that is similar. We're, we're in the same place where we're like, the last thing we wanted was for Tootie to get her way. Yeah, I, I think that's what it was. And yeah. The And this is why watching the episode twice and really kind of being able to digest it, I'm glad I watched them twice now uh, because the idea that, oh, oh, wait a minute, Tootie doesn't get her way. In fact, Tootie has a lesson to learn. And then he it's kind of like, okay, you've learned your lesson and now you're going to yeah. get to hear me sing. Yeah. And, you know, uh, in talking about it with you, I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then finally, which we discuss why they only had a few people in because you know budget as a no Mm -hmm. art no now after being a performer and living his life he has to perform for 2.5 people at a sad little spot in the poconos (laughs) that's your career that's the last moment of your career yes yeah yeah he gave his farewell performance at carnegie hall (laughs) (laughs) you know yeah and then at the at the Feinstein Resort at the Poconos. Yeah, yeah. with a woman in a blue Laura Ashley dress. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you mention uh, the, the dress. Very interesting because I do have some costuming things I want to point out before we go. Okay. That are of note. And this is really Joe and Blair Ugh. that need to be discussed because Joe has her... Uh, her ponytail down hair, but it's been trimmed. So now she looks like a 45-year-old soccer mom. Yes. And Blair, continuing from last week, has this super feathery, big uh, volume on top thing. But then the sides are clearly sprayed and plastered down. And the back is blown out straight and hanging down. I think last week I said it looked like like Billy Ray Cyrus. Mm-hmm. Actually, what I meant to say was it looks like Joe Dirt. <gasps> Joe Dirt. Doesn't it? <laughs> yes. I mean, do I lie? Uh, you do not lie. You speak it's the truth. <laughs> I do. I am the soothsayer. Um, and so we've got the problematic, unflattering hair that's going on. Yeah, but, I was like, they do not look good. No. And then I don't remember what they're wearing at the breakfast table, but when they come back in the mid, when they are floating in and out of the dining room, first time they appear, they're playing tennis. Blair is in all pink, pink short sleeve top, pink shorts. Joe is wearing blue. And I'm like, yeah, pink for girls, blue for boys. Yeah. Done. Remember, Joe's a tomboy. We can't let y'all forget that. (laughs) And then the next time they appear, they were at the pool, but they are wearing, like, it's not like a light caftan or throw or robe that would be over a suit. Joe is dressed like you see less of her body than you do in any of the other outfits. Was was she in gray sweatpants or something? I can't remember. It was something I don't remember. She had a visor on. She had a visor on for tennis, but then a visor on when she was at the pool? Yeah, what? and her visor was just, I guess you didn't want to mess the feather up because it was just kind of perched upon her head. I'm like, that. It was, it was just weird looking. But to me, the outfits that we cannot end this podcast without discussing is when they show up at night. And remember, this is yes. right before the midnight show. 
And they're like, well, where are you going? They're like, they're dressed up really nice. They look good. And it's like, where are you going? They're like, oh, we're going dancing over at the Pine Lodge. And it's like, okay, well, clearly they keep much later hours than this place. (laughs) And we're going dancing. It's like, well, yes, you make a very comely couple. You really should be out (laughs) dancing together. Because similar to our red and blue that we had earlier, or the pink and blue, we have this black and white thing going on. Yes. Where we have seen both of these costumes before, Trinell. Oh, I did not know that. Blair is wearing the black dressy jumper that she wore in season six, episode 10, called Talk, Talk, Talk. And I sang its praises up and down, left and right. It is a an anomaly as far as the silhouette of it for the typical things they dress Blair in. And she looks fucking amazing in it. Yeah. So to contrast this beautiful black dressy outfit that Blair is wearing, Joe is wearing her off-white cream-colored linen lesbian power suit <laughs> that she wore in season six, episode one, the summer of 84, which is where we were told that Joe is a piano player and a lounge singer and has a fucking act in her back pocket. <laughs> And when I say power suit, it is the big shoulder pads. It is the rolled up sleeves like Miami Vice, but a white button up shirt and a black man's tie tucked into the shirt. Like I add that with the the feathery, you know, kind of not quite mullet. We're not into full Joe mullet, but we're getting there. Yeah. The the butch femme dynamic that was going on here, if they did not look like the most amazing 1980s lesbian power couple, I don't know who does. Uh, uh, oh, they would have ruled. <laughs> they would they, have ruled Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> they would have ruled the Isle of Lesbos. They could have landed on the island in a chopper, stepped off and said, we are your new king and queen. And the others would have dropped down and worshipped at their feet. Yeah, you are. (laughs) Love the shoulder pads. Yes. Don't hurt me with them. Even growing up, before I knew, because, you know, it's like when you're young, you don't maybe not quite know, especially when we're. This is going to make sense soon. Um, <laughs> you don't really, because I'm trying to say it in a way that doesn't sound like horrible, but like, I feel like when we were younger, sometimes you didn't even know what gay was. Like, no, you, I, I didn't, yeah. I didn't know, I didn't know what it was, but I was like, she has a boyfriend and it didn't, it never sat right with me. Yeah. <laughs> like Joe had a boyfriend. She, she marries a man. Listen. She marries a man before like, the end of the series. You're like, really? And <laughs> And like, again, I didn't know what that was, but I'm like, I don't, I don't buy it. Yeah. There's <laughs> definitely a, a does not compute yeah. component going on here, particularly when you see her dressed like this. And this season, I said before, the ponytail came down at the beginning of this season. So when the hair came down, they were like, okay, well, we have to telegraph the the tomboy yeah. quotient in other ways and oh my god this they is one of they overshot it they overshot <laughs> it this is there are so many lesbotastic outfits and, and ash acid wash denim 
and you know blouses that have like a panel that button over the tie. Oh my god, it's amazing. Now, yes, I don't want to say you know there's a certain way certain people dress, but but they would but but <laughs> if you're gonna do a stereotypical show about a lesbian, that would have been the out outfit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, in and particularly in the in the sense that they're not putting her in a lumberjill shirt and blue jeans and combat boots, and yeah. that they're not going full on butch uh, with her. But yeah, no, this was this was great, and uh, I, I say this as a stereotype myself. Stereotypes are based on truth; they didn't just spontaneously appear out of nowhere. They are based on many, many truths, uh, and some. You could argue absolutely there is a reductive quality to stereotypes, but there's also an accurate component. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think I've said component uh, one too many times now, Trinell, meaning <laughs> that it's probably time to wrap it up because I've lost my my use of varied vocabulary. Yes, it's time to pick up a thesaurus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you, David, for inviting me on another episode with more Black people. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm glad. It wasn't intentional. I it was know, just, I know. I, I'm I told you, I texted you. I saw something on SNL and Ego Nuodum reacted to something. It was it was the cringy white guy dating game thing. Yes. And uh, Mikey Day did a really cringy white guy, and it just cut back to her, and she just was shaking her head going, nope, 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 nope. And I went, that is Trinell. <laughs> I turned to my roommates. I said, that is Trinell. I'm like, damn, I miss her. I texted uh, you right there and said, you got to come back. I want you on the show. That gives us an excuse. So until next time, and I hope it is sooner as opposed to later, I I always say it, but ugh, it's it's just been so great. So smooches, yeah. my dear, and goodbye. Mwah. Mwah. Bye. Component. Component. Stop. <laughs> I feel attacked. <laughs> And there you have it. That was Trinell Mooring. We briefly touched on uh, her cosplaying in this episode, but I know we've discussed it when she's been here in the past. And uh, for Black History Month, she's been doing a really cool thing on Instagram. She's been joining in on this hashtag of 28 Days of Black Cosplay. You can see all kinds of amazing cosplay by African-Americans with that hashtag. And you can see Trinell's specific cosplaying masterpieces, in my opinion, uh, at her Instagram account, which is MissTrey74, M-I-S-S-T-R-E-7-4. I will post links to both of these in the show notes and on the episode's webpage. Next. We started to talk about Jennifer Slept Here, and Trinell started to sing the theme song. In fact, the theme song she was singing was Down to Earth, which was a different ghost coming back to Earth to haunt people type of a show that happened right around the same time as that. Now, Jennifer Slept Here, the Angelian show, that did only run for a half a season, 13 episodes from 1983 to 1984. Down to Earth was a TBS Superstation original show, a rarity that a cable show was producing original content. That was that was done. It just wasn't very common. And uh, it ran for, I was very surprised, it ran from 84 to 87. 
three years. But within those three years, there were six half seasons and one full season. So there's over 100 episodes of that. It's like, wow. I don't really remember it. I didn't watch it. And, uh, but that was the song that Trinell was singing. The Jennifer Slept Here theme is actually kind of slow and a little lame. And I'll post videos from YouTube of both of those on the website. Feel free to check them out. So next week, I'm going to be watching Season 6, Episode 17, Two Guys from Appleton. And you can watch the episode ahead of time for free at dailymotion.com. I will post the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. That's all for now. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Visit my website, facethefactspod.com, for supplemental photos and videos, audio extras from the digital cutting room floor, links to my social media, and ways that you can support the show financially. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever fine podcasts are found. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.